0: everybody
1: welcome to the patty g show i'm your host patty g we are here with jim from mestizo's third generation restaurateur super excited to hear his story about staying on that block at south acadian through thick and thin through high water through everything that's happened over the last 17 years within his restaurant business i'm just super excited to hear about everything he's got going on and ultimately how he's been so successful over these years but before we get to that I want to give a big, wonderful shout out to the amazing folks that make this show possible each and every week. We've got Government Taco, Falaya Real Estate, Currency Bank, the bank for business owners, Lakeman's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and you know our outfits, always brought to you by McLevy Limited. Thank you all so very much. And without further ado, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah. Excited Missy uh, Torito put us in touch with each other at their birthday party. That was a fun a fun celebration and also a fun time to meet you, man. Yeah,
2: so. yeah. You take it for granted. Like I was just having this conversation earlier that, you know, it's I'm a restaurant owner, but we we get to celebrate life with people, and so you know, whether it's in the restaurant or catering off site, you know, we're we're like part of people's lives. And um, I know we're going to talk about it but three generations. I've been working in a restaurant my entire life. I'm fifty three and I have 45 years of restaurant experience under my belt. So I've been working since I was eight. That's and impressive. Yeah, I've I've done my time, <laughs> a lot of time in this, in this
1: industry, and it's not an easy industry.
2: No, it's uh, it's challenging. It's different. Um, it's always evolving. Um, you know, it's uh, you have to have a passion for it. And I always tell people as a restaurant owner, it's not a job. It's a total lifestyle because you live and breathe your restaurant. And you know, even when you're closed, I mean, you're you know, you're doing repairs or you're, you know, working on the restaurant. I mean, it's it's a it's a 24-7 job for the most part.
1: Yeah, 24-7, 365, regardless of your hours. Regardless, yes. So for those that aren't aware, who are you okay. and what is it that you do at Mestizo's?
2: All right, so my name is Jim murty Alice and um, I'm a third generation restaurateur. Uh, I'm the owner, chef, creator of Mestizo Restaurant. Uh, it's almost rare that you will not see me in my restaurant. If I'm not in my restaurant, I'm usually working in an off-site for something for the business. But um, it's something I've been doing my entire life. I really do enjoy it. Uh, it is tiring and taxing, and believe me, there's a team to rebuild me. Uh, um, I, I make a joke. I'm like the $6 million Mexican because I have massage therapist. I have um, sports People working on me, I have chiropractor. It's, it's, it's a lot to repair me to, you know, from what I do every day. But uh, Mestizos, uh, we're about to celebrate our 24th anniversary all together, but we've been on Acadian for 17 years. And um, I pride myself that Mestizo specializes in Louisiana Mexican cuisine, and it's my family story. So if you don't know, Mestizo is a Spanish word that means of mixed blood, two cultures which is what all Mexicans are. We're a blending of two cultures. And so uh, I read this um, word in a history book in college and it kind of stuck to me and I remember folding the page. And I remember saying, if if I ever open a restaurant, I'm gonna call it Mestizo. And not knowing that years later I would, and so that created Mestizo. But um, I uh, preface that most of the other Mexican restaurants in Baton Rouge are doing Tex-Mex. I do Mex- Louisiana Mexican cuisine, so there's a lot more seafood um, infused in my cuisine. Um, also, I, I kind of it's kind of something I've been working on the idea, but um, in theory, I think my menu tells the fuller story of what Mexican cuisine is, because um, Tex-Mex is really a derivative, um, and it's not really um, it's something that's more of Americanized. And so, true Mexican cuisine for me. It is street food, but it's also gourmet, it's farm-to-table, it's vegetarian, it's fresh, it's tapas, it's um, complex, it's simple. And so uh, if you haven't been to my restaurant, it's, you can even look the menu up online. It's, it's a very creative, different menu. Um, it's a journey. I've been working on this menu every year. I'm just doing the edits now on my 24th menu. Um, I like to evolve the menu. I like to tell a fun story. Um, I like to challenge people a little bit to kind of think a little differently when they dine in my restaurant. Um, And it's, it's, it's really fun for me because I get to, I'm a very creative person at heart. And so the fact that I get to go and cook and create, um, you know, I'm even involved, you know, I'm known to drink wine, so I do (laughs) like wine a lot, but I'm involved in even some of the cocktail creations in in the bar. And so it's, again, there's a lot of positive fun i guess from the outside people say oh it must be so nice to be this restaurant owner you get to eat and drink whatever you want all day i said no it's not like that but uh it, it is it is fun to be the creative force behind something that um i take a lot of pride in
1: yeah it's it's always fun in games from the outside and people yeah. saying oh you own a restaurant you can just get all this can yeah. you get this can you get that but then when you're sitting there at eleven thirty waiting for that last guest to leave yeah where, where, where are they at yeah, now? You right, know, yeah. where, where are they looking in saying, Oh, he's still there. It's 1130. They right. haven't closed up yet. You know, you yeah. got to be there from open to close and make sure that things run smoothly. Yeah. So y'all been open for 24 years, 24 years. So how did you get to that point? You said in college, you found the word kind of take yeah. us through that. Well, story. I'm, a, I'm a third generation <laughs>
2: restaurateur, um, to back up to tell my full family story. My grandfather came over from Mexico, and the whole family set up shop in Lake—I'm sorry, Fort Worth, Texas. And then my grandfather, uh, in the late 30s, decided to move to Lake Charles, Louisiana. That's when all the plants were uh, being started uh, taking over that area of uh, South Louisiana. And he opened the first Mexican restaurant in Lake Charles, and it was called El Rio. Um, His first four kids all went on to have um, restaurants. So at one point, my aunt had. Lake Charles and I have another aunt who had a restaurant in Lafayette and then there was two in Baton Rouge and uh, my father when he after he graduated college left uh, Lake Charles decided to go work with his sister for a little bit in Lafayette he was ready to get out of Lake Charles and uh, he was doing cooking at the restaurant and um, so he's a cook and my mother who's the Cajun half of my equation comes in and applies for a job and I hope no one's offended by this but uh, my dad always tells a story that My mother came in, he really likes women with big hands. And he says, your mom came in in a very tight white sweater, and she had really big hands. And he goes, I knew immediately I was in love with her. And so they courted very quickly, got married, and then they moved to um, Baton Rouge, actually moved to Denham Springs, uh, which is where he first got his first start. And uh, and my mom did hair, she was a, a hairdresser. And then my dad opened his first restaurant and it was on Florida Boulevard, but he had no tables. And then a few later he had moved to, it was a counter service, all to go. Then he moved all to go. go. And uh, then he moved to another spot and he had two tables. And uh, I don't want to name names, but I had this guy uh, who came and told me this story like 15 years ago. He said, ask your dad about milk. And I said, milk? He said, yeah, go ask your dad. Well, back in that time, Denham was a dry county or dry parish, I should say. Okay. And so people would come to my dad and, you know, he was like, you know, hey, Mr. Carlos, I'd love um, a glass of milk. So dad would go in the back and milk was code for a canned beer in a styrofoam cup with a lid. And if you ordered skim milk, it was a margarita in the styrofoam cup. <laughs> And so when I asked my dad about this story, he's like, what the hell? Who told you this story? And I said, yeah. I said, how do I not know this one? He goes, you don't know about everything. I had to get your ass out of Dim Springs get you to Baton Rouge for God's <laughs> sakes. And uh, so then they, they moved to Baton Rouge and uh, opened up in Florida, um, um, uh, Broadmoor. And so he was there for a few years. And then my dad, his last restaurant location was on the corner of Florida and Airline. He opened in 77. It was uh, two months before Cortana Mall opened up. And it's people who are my age know that was the center of baton rouge that's
1: that's prime real estate That was
2: prime 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 real estate and so dad opened 77 and i'm you know i'm seven years old and so my first job was a dishwasher at eight and uh mr klein peter loved me telling the story i had three uh klein peter milk crates in my three compartment and i would stand up and i'd do my pots move to the next one get up and down and that's how i got my start and uh my dad always joked, I said, yeah, I made $3 a night washing dishes. And I was like, okay, but, you know, when you're a kid, $3 is a lot of money. And uh, then I moved to a busboy around 11, and then um, probably somewhere around 14 I became a server. Um,
1: well, so you were washing dishes for three years?
2: Yeah, on weekends, yeah. Weekends. Oh, okay, so on weekends. Yeah, okay. just on weekends, uh, not during school weeks. I mean, just on the weekends I'd wash dishes and, you know, make some extra cash and uh you know, it's funny, I, I applaud my dad because he taught me how to make money and manage money. And uh, I think I was about, yeah, I think I was about 11 years old. They went and opened a little savings account, and I'd go ride my bike and drop my money off. And this was the old days where you had this little book and they would stamp it. Like if I was depositing five bucks, they'd five dollars, and they'd stamp it. And I just remember getting so excited about those little stamps in my book. And I still have that that little <laughs> booklet. Um, I saved it. But uh
1: so the stamp was just like five dollars has been deposited. Five dollars been taught mm-hmm. on this date, oh, and it was okay. certifying so that. It, gotcha. So that was your receipt. So you know? it's like what they give now is the print ticket. Right back then, they would just stamp your Boop. deposit book,
2: and it was a little book. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool. I mean, it's that's you know the fact that I get to look back and see, man, I really worked <laughs> for those three bucks or five <laughs> bucks or whatever. And uh, but anyway, my dad. Um, I, I remember this was kind of a big thing for me when I look back. So he opened in '77, and. Around 82 was the oil bust of Louisiana. And basically Louisiana lost about a fourth, if not a third, of its population uh, because the the state was so dependent on oil and gas. And my dad, I just remember thinking, oh, wow, what's going to happen? And uh, so dad very smartly pivoted, and we went from Carlos's Mexican food to Carlos's Cajun Mexican uh, food. And so what he did is he incorporated a lot of my mom's uh, family stuff. And that's where the seafood kind of started getting infused in our in our food. And dad really had the most incredible clientele. I look back at that. And uh, he really cultivated this beautiful restaurant that, I mean, people felt special at. They became part of our family. I mean, it was an extension of our living room. And, um, you know, I have so much respect. My dad retired at 80. Uh, he's 80? 80 yeah he, he retired at 80 he's 87 he's still here with us but he uh, just said his body was tired and, I guess
1: uh, so after spending that long in the restaurant a long, and
2: he sure. was raised in his dad's
1: restaurant so he's worked so he since he was 5 since yeah, 5
2: since 5 so he oh had 75 God. years of restaurant experience when he retired
1: that's that's yeah. incredible
2: and then uh, so if anybody knows my other family story El Rio Grande on airline is my uncle so um, and my uncle is 91 and he just celebrated his 60th anniversary on airline highway in the same location, which I think is, might be a record. I were, I've been trying to do some research because I think Pastime might be the only actively owned restaurant that's still in the same location. Um, we talked about, cause I think Frank's moved from one location to another, but anyway, it, it's a, it's a big deal that in the family, there's three generations. Um, it's a, it's a family legacy. And, uh, So I grew up and I went to LSU and I had no plans to open a restaurant. I was like, I am getting out of this field. I've been raising this. I've been doing this my whole life. I'm not doing this. So graduated LSU in marketing, um, moved to New Orleans, and I'm working at the Hilton downtown, and they put me in food and beverage. And I was like, I really wanted to do the room side and learn that side of the business. Um, But the, the two years I spent at the Hilton was quite, interesting for me because the one thing I learned and took from that was the answer was never no. When something was asked for me at Hilton, you never said no, your answer need to be how quickly can you make it happen? And that's what they trained and, and made you, you just in, ingrained in you. If you're, if you're in a situation and you're understaffed or there's something's going on, you, you call back up resources and people come and we make things happen. And I just remember that was a, as a great life lesson for me. And, um, so at the young age of 25, I had um, I had a little midlife crisis and <laughs> midlife crisis at 25.
1: Well, I guess since you've been working since you, you were yeah. eight. I mean, I'm due for I one mean, at that point. 17 years in the yeah, business at like, right, that point. got to have a
2: breakdown at some point.
1: Yeah. If you have, I mean, people with a 17-year-long career, they're sure they have a, a decision, change it up and mix Something, things up. Something, yeah. Okay. And
2: so that was mine. And I just remember, I don't know if I'm really happy because the thing for me was I had five bosses above, above me. And right. being a creative person, um, I came up with some visions and some ideas and I'd implement it and I sent it to higher up and it would go up a few levels and said, This is a great idea. Well then the big ball shoots it down and then you're dead in the water. And I was just I remember thinking, I don't think this is my happy place. And I remember looking at the people who were ten years older than me in this in the in that at that time, and they all seemed kind of miserable. And I said, So I don't think I want to be a miserable person and, and give all this time and energy. It's a fair assessment. And so um, on my 25th birthday, I'm at home. I talked to my dad. I said, look, I think I'm going to resign my job. And if you're cool with it, I mean, I've, I've always cooked with my dad. I said, but I want to just come and cook in the kitchen. And I'm not guaranteeing I'm going to stay. I just want to figure out if this is what my calling is. Something's telling me I want to. I might go this route. And um, so anyway, I came back and worked exclusively in the kitchen and basically learned all of my dad's things and you know in hindsight you know it's it's funny to use the word chef because I didn't go to culinary school but some of the better chefs or good chefs I I think of out there that people think of never went to culinary school as well it becomes something that is part of you that you cook and you can feel and you can kind of tell when things are working and you know um, and just you know spend a lot of time in a kitchen you start to kind of learn things about how things work but um, as it went on I remember I applied for some big corporate jobs. I kept getting turned down. Um, In my office, I actually have my last rejection letter from Houston's in New Orleans that rejected me. And uh, also I applied for uh, the Cheesecake Factory in California. And I just remember thinking, I am college educated. I'm good looking. And I'm talented. Why the hell aren't these people hiring me? Right And, uh, and it just, I remember one day, I mean, um, and I I just got that second rejection letter and I remember it's a clear day. I'm chopping onions in my dad's kitchen and this clarity came in my head and he said, Jim, you're going to open a restaurant and I'm going to reveal to you why later. I said, okay. All right. God just spoke to me. That's very odd while I'm cutting onions. <laughs> So dad comes in and says, so what's going on, son? And I said, well, I think I'm about to open a restaurant. And he goes, oh, okay. So I started the process and put my
1: feelers out there. And um, so, so how do you start the process? Can you walk us through? How do you start the process of even <laughs> beginning to want to open a restaurant? I mean, obviously you wanted to, you yeah. know, cut the onions. You're told, right. open a restaurant, build it, and we will come. Right. So how did you start to go down that
2: path? Uh, yeah, you know, it's kind of complicated. I, first off, you have to worry about the money. And right. so in, uh, I laugh at the fact that I opened my first restaurant on Sherwood Forest um, with a $75,000 budget, which is unheard of now. What what year? 1999.
1: That's still unheard of, even with that yeah. point in time. So 75000 that was your...
2: seventy-five, and it was three different loans, and my dad signed for one. I had co-signed on something, I forget what equity I had on that, and we somehow piecemealed this third part together, and... Um, I mean, I met with everybody. I met with the bankers, you know, then I'm working with, and I I did all the scouting myself. i worked, um, everything up and down Sherwood and Corsi, and that's kind of the area I decided to go with. And then I lucked into the, my first location was an old tasty donut on the corner of Sherwood and Corsi. Um, it's now Dane Tuan. It's a, um, um, Thai restaurant. And so I meet the owner and he was trying to get out and he had gotten messed over by somebody before. So he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to sublease it to you. And so I just started feeling kind of beat down. And then, um, I had this little surprise thing that happened in my life. I had a, a, a son that came out of nowhere and, uh, that's a, you know, different story for different, different time. Story, different time. Got but it. Was like, got Surprise! It. <laughs> and, uh, So anyway, at that point, I'm like, I got to get really serious. I got to make things happen. I'm responsible now for another adult. So, um, I remember I went to the, the, the owners of the building, went to their house and I sat there and I said, look, here's my cards. This is all I have. I have 75,000 to play with. This is all I have. If you will work with me and I get why you're, you're burned." I'm gonna put a twenty thousand dollar deposit down, with the guarantee that I will buy the building um, and the land from you within two years. If I don't, then you get to keep the twenty thousand. Yes, I was uh, at this point. I'm desperate. I'm like, I'm gonna make things happen.
1: So, seventy-five thousand dollar loan. Seventy-five thousand dollar loan. I put twenty thousand down. How much was the building worth?
2: Uh well that was a good question because at that point it was they had tried to sell it before so it was appraised it um right at two hundred thousand so I so came you put in a
1: ten thousand good faith deposit down for the anticipation that I'm gonna buy it that you're gonna buy it in two two years two years for a first location that you've never you've worked in restaurants all your life right but you've never opened and done the back end of the restaurant business no. bold well so but the <laughs> only thing that
2: helped me was it already had a commish a, a commercial kitchen. Okay,
1: so no, the, the renovations. Reason, yeah.
2: So very little limited rem, um, remodeling done. I mean, I mean, I remember we spray painted the ceiling tiles. Um, I did have to bring, I had, uh, take out all the donut stuff, um, but I really went in and spent, and I had a lot of used equipment I'd been accumulating. So, and this to this day, I mean, I laugh at this. I, I really, I was in over my head. I was trying to figure it out. Twenty thousand. I'm gonna buy this building from you. I'm gonna open. I spent about 30,000. and I still had you know roughly around twenty thousand left in the account. And, but I was the only cook. Wait, you
1: finished all the renovations for twenty five or thirty thousand? Yeah,
2: yeah. I had friends come in. I, I had everybody. I remember, and I, I look. I look back at the story. The Sunday before I opened, because Mar- I opened March first of nineteen ninety nine, was a Monday, and over that weekend. I had all my old fraternity brothers come out. They drove in from all over, and they were like let's let's figure out what you do. My sister in law's family came in. They were chopping stuff on top of us doing work. Uh, my brother was there. I mean, everybody who had any part of my life said we're going to help you. And I was just it. You know, I was so exhausted. And so we got it open, and it was a lot. It was by the luck of draw. And I'll never forget my very first day. I'm opening for dinner. And I'm the only cook. It's just me in that kitchen by myself. That's it. I had me and one dishwasher. That was all I had.
1: So, wait, so, okay. So we need, let's, let's paint the, the scene of the restaurant here. How many people could you see? At 15 tables. 15 tables. Were they four tops? All two four tops? tops. Okay. I had 15 parking spaces. <laughs> so everybody's got a carpool. You got a carpool. <laughs> so, okay. So so fi- 15 tables, four people. So 60, 60, 60 yep. customers at one time. Correct. And you were only dinner?
2: Well, we opened the first night of service was for dinner because okay. I couldn't get open for lunch yet.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so only, only dinner. So okay. we
2: open up, and I am so mentally exhausted because I have not slept, and I'm up all night. And so even though my first menu was a redo of my dad's, I renamed all the dishes. And I will never forget the first ticket coming back, and I'm looking at the ticket on the line, I'm like, I don't even have a visual in my head because I haven't even studied my own menu. And I remember looking like, Oh my God, what the hell did I do to myself? So I'm looking at the dish name cause that's what the server wrote. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, all right. Okay. I got it. And I remember I was so tired and that first night was so rough. And, um, I always remind myself the first 30 days I was in business. I had my first lawsuit. I had my first workman's comp claim, and I had a termite infestation break out on a Saturday morning. And I remember, then the first thirty days, I was like, "It's not too late to get out. It won't cost you that much. Just if you want to get out, just just close it now. It's this is maybe more than you you're ready for."
1: Okay. <laughs> Can we talk about any of them? Yeah, you can talk about that, yeah. So I'm first curious about the lawsuit. What happened there? You're barely, not even you're not even
2: 30 days. What not happened? Not even 30 days. It was, a, it was a gentleman who, the backstory was, uh, suffered from severe vertigo. Okay. And d- didn't take his medication and was not supposed to be drinking. And he had three of my large margaritas. And we had not put the carpet down on the floor yet. So I had these booths. Oh, when I'm telling you I got creative, I went and bought um, all used equipment, even in the front. But it looked nice. I, I mean, The restaurant looked really nice. But uh, we still had a tile floor, and he was in these big chairs. And I just remember I went and talked to him, and he was kind of leaning, and the chair was uh, not really meant to be leaned on like that. And he was kind of a, a portly guy. And um, I guess as he was trying to talk to his wife, and the third margarita was kicking in, he slipped out of the chair, and his knee hit the the tile and dislocated and um, you know, I tried to send him to, you know, do you want to go to the emergency room? What do you want to do? He's like, no, I'm going to take care of it. It's fine. And so thank God I had B law class in college, business law. And something told me, don't comp the ticket. You got to have him sign to show what he drank and ate. And that became something in the, in the, the lawsuit that acknowledging how many margaritas he had and, he, in the vertigo medicine, it was, it was very complicated. Wait,
1: but no, that is genius. Yeah. The signing of the ticket, because mm. normally if something happens in a restaurant, the first thing is we're going to comp we're the meal. We're going to
2: comp it, so sorry. But I don't get,
1: think. that's, so it's an admission of guilt at that point well, right around the ticket. Because what well, he, you drank three large margaritas. three large margaritas. You know, of course we didn't have cameras back then yet. Right.
2: Know, and like we do now. Um, but I, something just told me that's going to be something big. And of course the papers get served two weeks later, and I'm like, oh, crap.
1: How did they, they get served? Somebody just walked in and yeah. was like, yeah. can I get a go order? Yeah,
2: no, here, yeah, here, <laughs> here you're getting sued. <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. All right. And uh, But, you know, I, I laugh at it about it now, but when you're 29 and you're just trying to, I mean, like, and again, I got the, the little bit of money I have is all on the line. Like, this is all I have. Every penny's accounted for Everything. this point. This is what I have to start with. So, uh, you know, we... I look back at that time. It, it was a, I'm glad I went through all of that because it made me who I am today. Um, then my brother came aboard about nine months later and that helped me on the line. And then my sister-in-law came aboard. So it became really a family affair. And um, I mean, I was at that location for seven years and I take a lot of pride in the fact that we built a really great clientele. People were so supportive of me. And I mean, I was just trying to, get my feet wet I look back at my first two menus the misspelling of words and I'm like I can't even believe I I wrote out a menu with misspelled words on it like you know it's like you make these little mistakes and then they just they start eating but you have to learn lessons like that like uh we're never going to print without several spell checks ever again and uh but anyway year four in that location I kind of realized that that was not going to be the ideal location for me um just for what I wanted to accomplish with the restaurant. So we started looking and then um, I had already bought my home in mid city. And so one day I'm getting off the interstate. It was a Saturday morning. I'm working with a broker already looking for a new location. And my location now was a Denny's and it had closed and I see the signs. I pull in I went, Oh wow. So I call my broker, my commercial guy. And I'm like, Hey, do you have any contacts with Denny's Corp? Because actually I do. So, phone calls later. Next thing I you know, I'm talking with um, the owner of the property and uh, he's like, well, yeah, you know, Denny's just had resigned. So you're going to have to renegotiate the remainder of their lease. If you want to take over this property and he goes, but I have no problem. That's fine. So I'm talking to the landlord wow. and as, and okay. we, as we get off the phone, he goes, Oh, by the way, he goes, are you Carlos's son? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, no, sir. He goes, Call your dad and ask him if he remembers me. So, I get off the phone. Hey, Dad, who's this guy? So and so, and he goes, Jim. Oh my God, you wait on him every freaking Friday when he's in town. And like, I promise you know him. So um, it's a family that lived in Alexandria. And um, funny enough, I renegotiate the sublease through Denny's. So we we get into this, and so uh, and just to back up on the Sherwood thing, I did buy the restaurant as I was about to say before I w- okay. in a year and a half into it. And what happened was we had negotiated that the twenty thousand would come off and we capped the price at two hundred thousand. The appraisal came in at two hundred fifteen, so I purchased the building at one hundred eighty. So I immediately had equity.
1: So he had thirty five to play with at right. that point. Okay. Equity,
2: and then I stayed there. So when I sold it, um, I had a good amount of equity. So even when I'm looking to move to to Acadian as this thing's unraveling, you know. I, had had this business plan accordion plan with all my stuff in it and you know projections and this and i was you know i'm ready and i went to so many banks and i mean i can't tell you how many banks turned me down even for the the redo so um the bank that what was their reasoning restaurants are considered risky they're always risky and especially you know and I'm still considered a mom and pop one location, so those always kind of scare them. Um, until you have a lot of equity or something behind you, that they, they, they're just they're usually hesitant on that type of thing. So, uh, so we get ready to do the, the Cadian thing. We negotiate Jenny's sublease. Um, I have an approved budget. I'm ready. And then this little thing called Hurricane Katrina happened.
1: A little. Little thing. This little hur- thing called this, Hurricane is this, Dr- this, this blip in the radar. Yeah, you may know, uh, remember you know.
2: that occurrence <laughs> that happened in South Louisiana. And, uh you know, on top of the, not to take light of the devastation that it did to, to you know, New Orleans and the surrounding cities. But one of the things was, as we were going to uh, the process of remodeling, the cost of everything had quadrupled. So my little, and I remember, that, and I don't mind sharing the story, my little $400,000 budget, which I was pre-approved for, which everything was set, and we were, if, if we wouldn't have been dealing with the inflated prices, would have been fine. But at the end of the day, we took 187000 of pretty stuff off the menu, or off the, the, the remodel, and I signed off on almost an $800,000 loan. So my basic loan got doubled just to get me open and and you took stuff off I yeah we did none of the pretty stuff like it was here's what we have like
1: bare bones going from sherwood bare bones yeah. to now this place bare bones. bare bones yeah wow yeah
2: and um and i just remember the first 30 days i was open i looked at the numbers and i'm like i am going to fail miserably i don't know how the hell we're gonna get through this we don't have enough tables you know I just opened up during football season, and it was like, oh, my gosh, the time is wrong, whatever. And, you know, you, you know, the numbers tell the story, you know, in any business. that You've just got to look at the numbers and say, okay, is this going to be sustainable? And um, so I remember when we finally make it to the first year that, at the location, I, I did an anniversary party or whatever, and I was like, okay, we're going to go ahead and celebrate. We're not going to be here next year. And then, so two years in, I said, well, we're going to try one more time, but I guarantee you we're not going to make it to year three at this location. And, you know, it's funny how I look back at that mindset. And uh, that's something I'm really working on right now, period, is the mindset that an entrepreneur carries. I mean, you, you've you got to believe in yourself. There are going to be tough times. Um, I mean, anybody that knows me knows I have a very wicked sense of humor, but, um, but I'm really, really tough on myself. And I just remember thinking, Jim, you you're going to have to figure something out. I mean, this is this is going to be brutal. And um, so anyway, somehow, even with as craziness as it was, we opened a second location in 09 to 11 in Prairieville at a second oh, no, no. location called La Mestiza. I simplified it and was able to get a very $150,000 loan and did that. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. The recession kicked in and learned a lot of valuable lessons. And, um, you know, That little bit of money that I thought was a little bit of money became a lot of money because, you know, my restaurant had to pay those bills and put me behind. And so, you know, I had to do different things. And, um, you know, I don't take I say this because an entrepreneur who's been through it knows I had to go through reorganization at one point just to get my business back on track. And I was I remember I was so distraught and having to make that decision. But it was like, okay, you've been paying on this debt now for five years and you're not getting ahead. So just go through the reorganization process saying, I just, I want to clear my debt, but just give me some time to get all this situated. We did, we paid it off early Um, and most amazing thing. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where when you're going through life and in business, sometimes you do get upside down. And I remember thinking, man, this is going to be tough, but it was the best thing for the restaurant. And we were able to get everything paid off. you know, I tell people, you know, it, it to be business and then going back to my 17 years on Acadian, you know, as we're, we're finishing that up, then this little thing starts in 2016 with the flood start. And we went through four floods in five years. And, you know, again, you know, I laugh that, I mean, God must have really thickened me up along the way <laughs> <laughs> to I just never it failure is not an option for me and perseverance is what I believe in and um you know it, it's just been an interesting fun journey it hasn't always been easy um but I take I like to take um time now to just reflect on the journey of what it was and to go back to something that was interesting right before the flood of 2016 over that summer, if you remember back, was when we had the police shooting. Mm-hmm. And um, so I remember watching it on the on that Sunday. And I was just so devastated that this happened in Baton Rouge. And so I just did a little post on Facebook. So I'm like, you know, we're going to, I'm calling all my tours, call to action. We're going to make some, something happen. And we're not going to let this be the definition of Baton Rouge and all that kind of crap. So I put that out there. And from that was born the idea, 25% on the 25th. Uh, which a lot of people got involved with, and there were some people running for mayor, and they got involved. and It was just an idea from a post, but became something really big. So that a week later on the 25th, it was a, I don't know if you remember this, it was a citywide movement that people went out and supported, and the restaurants, or it wasn't just restaurants, it was like...
1: It was a lot of other
2: businesses. A lot of businesses participated. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we ran all the money through BRAF. Um, they handled all the money, and um, they brought in about... 250000 that went to the family funds of the four officers that were killed. And um, so that was that Monday, and then I think it was Wednesday morning, I'm sitting outside with my coffee, and that little voice came back. It said, this is why. This is why I told you you're going to do this. And when it hit me like a ton of bricks, I realized how fortunate I was that God had used me as a vessel gave me this wonderful life, but it also opened my eyes that you can do and be so much more. Um, you know, I am a restaurateur at heart, but I'm a Baton Rouge, and this is my, I love this city. Um, you know, there's times where I so I tell people all the time, this is a, a love-hate city, and you know, there's so many people who, who like to spew what they hate about this town. Um, I choose to be part of the solutions to the problems in the city. And so, you know, I've always been very involved in boards, but um, I agree there's so many things that just drive me insane, but I put my time and my resources and my energy into trying to make this this city better. And it might be just that I cook food, you know, but I get to cook food for uh, people of influence. I get to cook food for people who are trying to make a difference and I get to have their ear. Um, And so... I'm very fortunate that when I look back now on this whole thing and I, I laugh now at all this stuff, but it it created and molded me to be the man I am today. And that I take a lot of pride in what I do and I take a lot of pride in 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 my business, in the culture that I have, and the reputation that it has. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that my dad's eighty seven, still with me, and we talk, you know, all the time. And I said, Dad, I really hope you're proud because you gave me a legacy. I'm trying to leave a legacy. And I said that not everybody gets to have that in their life, you know, to, to leave something of a legacy is, is kind of amazing, you know. And um, my own son probably doesn't want any part of the restaurant. I have two nephews. I'm hoping one of them does. And if they don't, that's fine. But the fact that, um, you know, whenever the the end happens for Mestizo, it, you know, it was I think people will have um, great memories and great stories of, of what they got to do. Um, share at the events they got to share at our restaurant. Um, You know, we did that addition five years ago. And uh, I remember the first year of the room, we hosted a 20th, a 30th, a 40th, a 50th, a 60th, and a 70th birthday. I had a wedding. I had baby showers. I had receptions. I had everything. And I please, this is just my sense of humor. I remember thinking, I've done everything in this room except for bar mitzvah. And I've got a synagogue right down the street. And I said, I need my Jews to step it up and give me a freaking bar mitzvah. Okay. And, uh, but that was just a little, Did it never happened. No, I still haven't had one yet, but, uh, you but it's like, just funny. You're like I, a- advertise over yeah, there? Hey, open for bar mitzvahs. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the room that you would get to share all these great events with people is, is, kind of a, it's an amazing thing. And, um, you know, we're there. I mean, even today, I, one of my really good customers, his father passed away over the weekend and, you know, we're already like, okay, we're well, we going to bring some food. We, uh, you know, in the South, that's what we do. we got to bring some food. we got to make sure they're okay. And let's figure out what they, we, you know, what they need and when they need it. And that's just who we are, you know? And, um, I'm glad that even my whole staff are like, Oh, we got that, for, you know, Mr. So-and-so cause you know, it's, it's a bad time for him. And that's just who we are.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's, especially in it's kind of like heightened in South Louisiana mm. but it's across a lot of the hospitality industry they're one of the first ones to jump at the gun of saying oh, yeah. how can we help what can we do even if it's bringing a warm plate of food that's what we got that's what we can bring right and then when covid hit and you had to shut the doors i was happy to see the turn of the tables where everybody said the restaurants were always there. Yep. They're always sponsoring your little league basketball mm-hmm. jerseys. They were always the ones in the back. They're always sending food somewhere. Right. Let's see what we can do. And that's when the gift card fund came around. you yep. people started buying gift cards and getting to go orders and trying to send that money back in yeah. because it created, it completed the circle of people here in town saying we want to help. And when wanna- everybody's going to help. Right. And we, businesses come out and help and then when the businesses need help the people show up most of the time mm-hmm. and they're there to say we're here we're supporting you and we're all going to get through this and yeah. that's the part that i love about baton rouge yeah is when people do come together like that to create and continue to push the scene that we all know as locals what it is yeah. and so it's how do we then showcase all of that across for everybody else to see because some people may not understand yeah what we do and how we do it here in baton rouge you know it's funny um
2: I go back a lot and talk about 2020 and what a crazy year that was. And you think about it, like you're saying, you know, we go through a flood in 2016 and that's local. Or we might go through Katrina and it's national news. Um, but when you go through something where it's a world shutdown and all of a sudden you realize you only have your local neighbors to rely on, like there's nobody else. It's, it's just yeah, the they, local. They all can't come help. They can't go out. So you got to stay local and get the people And, you know, I I think back and when I'm talking to people about that, so I said, if you did not learn anything or if you did not reevaluate your business, your personal life, your spiritual life, if you did not reevaluate everything in 2020, you totally missed an opportunity of a lifetime because it gave you time to reflect. And, you know, I'll tell you, me and my partner, we would get up on Saturday and Sunday and do these hour and a half walks and we would just talk. And when you're talking, you know, when you're talking and walking you and sometimes the, the conversation would get uncomfortable, you can't run. You just got to keep walking. <laughs> yeah. But you're forced to talk about things. And I learned so much about my business and we reevaluated our hours. We reevaluated, you know, what it, what are we working for? And then all of a sudden, you know, closing one day a week, became something very important for the restaurant and you know the fact that you know now six days a week instead of seven days a week my weekly sales increased I have no more overtime my staff is happier people a little bit more refreshed um, and the business continues to grow I said what, what an amazing thing but I had to pause after 2020 and say okay what are we really working for here and it can't be just about the dollar it's got to be about quality of life and so when we started kind of changing that mindset with everybody, you could just see the change in the restaurant. Everybody's like, "Thank God, we have one full day to just breathe. And, you know, and we, everybody's got other oh, days off, but it's a solid day that everybody's off. Yeah, nobody's of nice. working. In, in
1: nobody's working. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you can take a look at people that have been successful in the larger scale in the situation of like Chick-fil-A, close yeah. on Sundays. Right. It is, for the hospitality and the restaurant industry, especially quick service, unheard of to be closed a day, right? yet they are, no locations yep. are open on a Sunday. And so taking that, like you said, your sales, your weekly sales increased, your staff was happier, and you're able to cut some costs on overtime. Mm-hmm. When you ultimately look at it, it's not how many hours can we work, it's how many productive hours can yep. we work and still be profitable. Correct. You know, and so cutting back on that time, your staff is refreshed, they're able to come in mm-hmm. and work better, which means they give a better customer experience, yep. because they're not Dragging through the shift because they've been working a double or they've been working, you know, every day that week and they're just trying to get till the last customer walks out the door. They're now refreshed and able to bring that environment and help those memories be made Mm -hmm. so much better than if they're coming in and they're just dragging the whole shift. Yeah, it's life changing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And we're in a better place. I
2: mean, um, I have the most employees I've ever had right now and and I, I encode payroll and they're all doing very well. Uh, we also pay a lot more than we used to as well, but, um, it's, it's a different genre now. And I, I think back, it's like really 2020, thank God that happened in a weird way, you yeah. know, just to reevaluate life in general and, and just take a pause, you know, cause I always tell them it's not a restaurant never goes into, uh, you know, Hey, let's, let's try an experiment and see how few of employees we can operate with. No one does that by choice, you know? Um, so COVID did teach us a lot, and funny enough, uh, we were lucky because uh, right before COVID, I had a lot of people that I really wasn't happy with on the floor, and it allowed me to clear out. And, when we, and we actually started hiring back within the first week, but I pulled back my two strong people that I knew I had to take care of. and I got them involved, and then when we started to open up, then we changed our mindset about how we're going to train and bring people on the floor. And that has been the biggest difference. So now we spend the dollars actually fully training any server before they go on the floor. And so that they're more of a true salesperson and they understand the menu and the food and they go through a rigorous training program. And, um, you know, I share the story cause I, th- I think it's a compliment to them. But when I remember when we were talking about this was I said, isn't it amazing that you can go to Jay Alexander. It's a corporate restaurant, and I go out of my way to always support local. But Jay Alexander is one of the few exceptions that I, I will always consider. I think it's impossible to have a bad meal, or bad service there. They are just so well-trained, so well-run. Um, and so that became something we talked about was how do we, okay, I know what their training program is, so why can't we implement something like that? Like we should take the time we can now afford to do that. So we spend those two weeks with rigorous training, with tests along the way, so that when they actually go on the floor, they are ready to sell. They're ready to talk about the food that they're about to sell. Uh, you know, because my menu is not—it's not for the basic. It's not just a enchilada plate on my restaurant. I mean, you're talking about—I'm talking about—I'm having a discussion about molés. I'm having a discussion about high-end tequilas and mezcals. I'm having you know, a discussion about what it is about the different regions of Mexico and why the the food is so unique. So they have to be ready to have those conversations with people.
1: Which is tough to have if you're somebody who does like restaurant hopping almost, you Mm -hmm. know, like for them to look at the training program and see this is a serious amount of my time I'm going to have to take Mm -hmm. to learn this menu, to learn this process. The restaurant industry is always known for the high turnover it has. And so for a restaurant tour to say I'm going to invest in the training on the front end mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody is up to speed, everybody knows everything. That's a serious commitment yep. and obviously the proof is in the pudding, yep. you know. It what your business has become is because of part of that training. Yeah. I'll say this,
2: we the the servers who started the floor January 1st of this year, mm-hmm. were with me January 1st of last year which in for servers, that's a big deal. That's a long time. And I would say over half of those were with me the January before that as well. So we've done a really great job of retention. Um, and, and then, like I said, constantly training. We're trying to always kind of push the envelope a little bit. We talk a lot about just the everything that comes in. Uh, you know, it, it is funny because this is something that's really in, interesting, interesting to me in the sense that, you know, even though the legal age of drinking is, is 21, um, it's not like when I was growing up, you know, we were, we had our fake IDs at 15. And right. so, you, but know,
1: you put the money on the counter, they'll serve you a beer, yeah, serve a beer, you <laughs> do whatever.
2: But you know, by the time we went to college at 18, you, you still had your, you know, you were starting to learn what the difference between crown and, um, you know, makers is or whatever you're, you're drinking things and you're whatever. So majority of these kids that are hired, they haven't really had a drinking experience. And so, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they still have to learn, Certain things. I remember having a discussion with one of the servers in training um, and he's like, "Okay, so it's white wine and red wine. And I was intrigued by that. And I didn't understand what he was saying. He didn't understand that Chardonnay was a grape, that Pinot Grigio was a grape. He didn't know the cabs. He didn't know that he just knew white and red. Yeah. And so he just thought Chardonnay was like a name or something.
1: Oh, it was like a like a like a style, like a style, <laughs> a style it's, of it's, wine, a Chardonnay. Chardonnay style, or
2: whatever. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh wow, okay, it's not their fault because they just haven't really been yeah. exposed to this. So we do have to do a lot of one-on-one, almost remedial, sometimes. Um, and not every not every one of them is have full knowledge, but um, what we're trying to do is get a culture where they're they're. The, the resources are there in the restaurant for them to learn. And so we're post posting training, doing covering issues. I like to do tastings, um, especially with wine, because, you know, one of the things I, I take a lot, we have a really great wine list at my restaurant. And it's not a lot of wines, but the wines that are there are really good. Um, and I always, you know, when I talk about it, it's like, you know, Mexican food pairs with beer, but Mexican cuisine pairs with wine and cocktails and so that's why what we do is we focus on elevating the conversation Um, and I'm not going to say I'm the only one but I I do say that or I can state that my restaurant, our house margarita is 100% blue agave tequila I don't think most Mexican restaurants claim that and most people don't even know what that means so what does that mean? it means that it's a pure tequila it's not a blended tequila um, I, I'll, I don't name any names, but there's this restaurant that claims to have a very great margarita, um, margaritas. and But their top shelf, because it's on the machine, is Pepe Lopez, which is a well tequila. Well, they're charging a higher price than mine. and If you're putting Pepe Lopez on a top shelf, I can only imagine what you're serving in your house. So you're not even bragging about 100% blue agave tequila in your top shelf, which is what you're supposed to be paying for. But that doesn't exist there. So I can claim that no well tequila, we don't even have a well bar. So So
1: what's what's a well?
2: Well would be your discounted vodka bourbons run, like something like if you're going to make cheap cocktails with. So for instance, vodka, we start at Absolute. There's nothing below that in my well. Um, Our bourbon starts at Baker's Mark and then we go up. We don't carry low brow spirits in my restaurant. Um, I just, and that's something we've evolved to in the last few years. It's about thinking about everything that the customer sees or tastes. I don't, you know, I don't need well stuff. That's not who we we are. Um, If we're going to make a cocktail, we're going to use the best of the ingredients that we can. If we have to charge a little more, I'd rather do that than okay, let's bring in, you know, a cut rate vodka or Rum or tequila to make a cocktail. I said, "That's then. What do you do? You just frou frou it up with sweet stuff, and that's your cocktail." Uh, To me, that's not a a
1: real conversation. Yeah. Um, And they wake up the next morning with a strong uh, hangover, and they're like, "Why? why "Why "Why? My head hurting? Yeah, I'm not going back there. Had some cheap drinks, and it wasn't a good experience. But they're going to go back anyway.
2: So, you know, on the I will say on the side of my margarita machine, we put a little sign that says, "Life is too short for an inferior margarita." And that's all I'm going to say about that.
1: I love it. I love it. Knowing knowing the audience and knowing what you can claim. There you go. That's like it is. You know, if
2: you want the best, I'm going to try and serve you the best I can.
1: Yeah. And that's taking pride in the product and taking pride in what people are going to consume and having that experience of the consumer mentality over what's going to make us, what's going to have the highest profit margin, Mm -hmm. you know. There, you got to have that balance, right? You got yeah. how can we make money but still serve what we want to serve? And most time, it comes into just well, we got to bump that price up a little bit. So yeah. you have to then educate them on why your margaritas are more than the next person. Mm-hmm. And it's getting down to that. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the ingredients. Here's what we have. Here's why we did it. And here's what it turns out to your tasting whenever you're enjoying it. And this is why we validate our prices. Yeah. If you're not able to beat them on price, we yeah. say we got quality. And yep. we got and we can claim exactly what we're claiming so yep. I love that man well yep. we've uh oh it's um we're we're about in an hour what so wow. <laughs> as we as we I mean we could this could be a four or three hour podcast yeah. but as we kind of start to wrap things up we do have a set list of questions we'd okay. like to ask and I'm very curious on one of the questions what your answer will be mm. and we'll get to it okay so the first one is what is something you did as a kid? you wish you could still do today.
2: Mm. Uh, I know this answered off the top of my head. I told my son this, the fact that I would ride my bike up and down every street in Broadmoor with just the most carefree life. And um, I miss those days where we just ride our bikes everywhere. And it's, it is the old saying you would just get home before the sun went down. And if not, you were in your, your friend's house and you got the phone and they're, their mom to talk to your mom and say, he's here. We'll drive him home after dinner. We're going to eat pizza whatever. But man, that freedom of riding those bikes. I miss that so much.
1: Yeah. Just that, that carefree be, be home when the, uh, with when the street lights come, come on. on. Yeah. And I saw somebody uh, that I'm friends with on Facebook that I posted some, I guess the modern day version of it. And they're like, this is, this is greatness. It was a Friday night or a Saturday mm-hmm. night. And they said, look, parents, I'm posting this on Facebook. If your kid's electric scooter is in our parking lot, they're here. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, this is the modern day equivalency of that. You know, they're like, the kids are out here playing basketball in the driveway. If you see your kid's scooter, they're at our house. Like, I was like, that's, people are trying to get back to that almost. I feel like with their kids that they're bringing they're saying, we used to do this, we used to do that, and trying to incorporate it. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Yep. So being in the restaurant business for as long as you have been, you've learned a lot and then opening your own, you learned a lot mm-hmm. within the first 30 days of opening your first location. Yeah. So what are three lessons you've learned along your way? Uh, plan, um, and I always tell any future,
2: uh, restaurant owner or even business owner, it starts with a business plan, um, you, you can't go in blind unless you have an idea of what your rent, utilities, insurance cost, possible labor. You've got to at least start putting things down and understand uh, what you're about to put yourself into. A business plan is number one. The second most important thing, and this is the God honest truth, you better have a really strong CPA, lawyer, and banker always in close by. And I cannot under- and undervalue my CPA is more than my CPA. He's he's one of my closest friends in life. Um, he's in my will. I mean, he is such an integral part of, of my business. Um, thirdly, and is believed to invest in yourself in the sense that um, training and research is never done, and it doesn't matter what you do. Um, for me, I do a lot of traveling in Mexico just to to get inspired, uh, creatively, um, you know, right now I'm investing a lot in my managers to, and we're going to seminars. We're going to think, I want, I want us all to be challenging our minds, our bodies, our souls to just continue to be the best you can be. So I think investing in yourself and in your, your people is, is key. And that's something that takes, you have to be open a little while, but I still think any type of research that you can do for yourself or investments is, is, is wise money spent.
1: Yeah. Well, and if it's in the beginning where you can't afford it, Google invest yeah. in just time yep. reading and learning your craft as best you can, if you Correct. can't afford to pay to get that level of self investment. Yep. So this is the question I'm curious about. Okay. What is something you love about Baton Rouge? Now, Ooh. before you answer it, we've had a lot of people on the show and They've given a, a lot of people have always said the people. So I'm curious if you're going to have an alternative to that. Um,
2: it, it, the first thing, there was a first thing, but I was going to go a little bit deeper than that in the sense that it, it's something that this is a big, small town. And um, the fact that, you know, you remember the old term seven degrees of separation? Mm-hmm. I mean, Baton Rouge, it's a half degree of separation. I mean, <laughs> half degree. I mean, we start a conversation with, where'd you go to high school? Who's your, what's your mama's maiden name? Oh, which church y'all go to? And immediately you can go back and connect a dot on how you are somehow either related <laughs> or you know somebody knows somebody. Um, I, you know what? More than anything, and I don't think this gets appreciated. I think it's the culture we have here in Baton Rouge, and and I say that in the in the nicest way. You think about it. Tell me another place in this in the U.S. in the fifty continental states that they have a food. A culture and a cuisine that is all their own. I can't think of another area anywhere we have something so unique in South Louisiana that everybody else wants to come and experience it because they have none of it.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's I think that's a valid claim. Everybody that has moved away, their number one complaint has always been the lack of good food Mm -hmm. where they moved to. Yeah. And every time someone visits here, one of the biggest complaints Compliments they give is the food that we have. Yeah.
2: here. and think about it. it; it's also part of our
1: culture. Oh, it's yeah.
2: ingrained in everything we do.
1: I, I I grew up. Anytime we had a family function, it's centered around a meal or mm-hmm. cooking something. Yeah, didn't didn't matter what it was. We we have a Christmas party every year. We cook a whole pig. We do a kushal on delay every yeah. year, and it's just everybody gets there like four, five, six o'clock in the morning. We start cooking this pig, and it's a day affair of cooking, and then we never have sit down place settings because we just eat as we're cooking all day long and it's the it's that is the activity of the party
2: no one last thing i always make the joke satan loves south louisiana because we come into the new year with these goals and we're gonna change and then the first thing satan does is he throws the damn king cakes at you (laughs) okay you fail miserably and then you start getting lent starts and then the second thing satan does he throws those little girl scout cookies at you and you're like doomed and the next thing you know, you've got every festival known to man. It doesn't matter if it's raised, it's walking the earth. We're going to celebrate it. And we're going to have a festival for it in the spring. And then we start the summer months. You know, you go to 30A and you start whatever. And then we flip right into football season and the holiday season. It's like we almost almost never have a time <laughs> where we're not tempted by the things in South Louisiana. I mean, think about what we do. And it's just everything that we do, like you're saying, whether it's king cakes or Couchon de Lays or crawfish bowls or... We we get, we come together over food, and it's but it's our it's our food, right? Now it's a combination of
1: different histories, but it's something that's unique here. It's what we've made to be South Louisiana, correct? So, for the final question, Jim, what can I do to help you? Oh, um, well,
2: I think you just did it. You're exposing your audience to mestizo, and um, if you haven't been, I encourage you to come by and. Um, you know, one thing I love the most is we're getting so many new customers, and I'm seeing such a diversity in, in my new clientele, because um, we're doing something that no one else is doing, and the fact that half my menu is clean and fresh, and whether or not you, we've got a separate vegetarian, keto, gluten-free menu, and we also have... You know uh, keto frozen cocktails and keto cocktails, and if you're eating clean, we do everything from the appetizers, the entrees, to the cocktails to desserts. We give you the whole experience so that you can come in and you're still eating great food, right? But it's cleaner and it's and that's
1: half our menu, and that's the important part that the fact that it's still great tasting food yep. and you're not sacrificing the flavor. You're getting creative yep. on how to make those dishes right. from the get go. So yep. yeah, and I've had y'all's froze, yeah, and it's delicious. Yeah, it is phenomenal, and it's 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 definitely on the list of recurring restaurants to attend mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming thank on, you. man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. This was this was fun, and we've got a we've got to do like a Facebook Live or something about the the, the margaritas. Okay. And we've got to we've got we got to figure something out on okay. that. Okay. Because I'm I'm curious now to try a true blue agave margarita. Yeah. Because I've only had the froze there well next time you come in we'll definitely make that happen I amen so thank you so much for coming cool. on I appreciate you. your time yeah. and I appreciate everybody else whether you are listening or watching to the show I know the guests do as well if you have never been to mestizos make sure you go over and give it a shout and let them know that, that you heard about them on the Patty G show they're right there corner of Acadian right by i10 you can't miss them. So long as we don't get flooding at South Acadian, they're very easy to get to. Um, so thank you all so very much, and thank you to the amazing sponsors that make this show possible each and every week. Hear a little bit more about all of them right now. Sell
0: so your home for a $399 flat fee with Falaya. No, seriously. Falaya will list your home on the MLS and help you get all the way to the closing table for as little as a $399 flat fee. Our online platform is insanely easy to use and will save you thousands. If you're thinking about selling your home in 2022 and want to keep more of your hard-earned equity in your pocket, you need to check out Falaya.
1: Falaya. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of the Patty G Show brought to you by Government Taco. They're located on the corner of Government Street and Jefferson Highway. Jay is always slinging up a new taco of the month. So if you're a frequenter to Government Taco, let us know in the comments what you thought about this month's taco of the month. If you're not a frequenter, maybe trying out this month's taco might just convert you. Big thanks over to them at Government Taco for making The Patty G Show possible.
0: Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away. It's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s. Way far in the distance. Not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left. But the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade, building a pre retirement flight plan in your 50s. Thank you to Mercedes Benz
1: of Baton Rouge for making this show possible. Nick Pentis is a past guest, we love having him on. Listening to him talk about the culture they have over at Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge is really an incredible thing to hear. How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove, concierge service, Every step of the way, they're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life, shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days. But I promise you, signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux, you won't regret it for several reasons. But most of those being the fact of the time it saves where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition so if you're an investing guy you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future there's no other more important thing to invest in than your health make sure you go check them out our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you McLevey's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire, whatever you want. Go over there, see Frank and Ashley. It's a father-daughter duo. They do incredible things in their store. They will outfit you from as simply a shirt that you need for one evening, or all the way to a full wardrobe overhaul. They're going to take care of you every step of the way, and be sure and let them know that Patty G Show sent you. Thank you so very much to Currency Bank, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show. If you are looking for a business bank that fosters on three core values, relationships, service, and technology, Currency Bank is the place for you. They pride themselves on convenient, accessible, and secure online banking resources where you can manage your account balances, initiate transfers, enroll with e-statements, and more via their online portal. Between the relationships, the service, and the technology – They are going to be that partner with your business every step of the way, regardless of what you need. Currency Bank is the bank for business owners.